We're going to be closing out our missions month today, actually. I, I did a message three weeks ago on Philippians 4, starting in verse 11, and we're going to end looking at the last few verses from, uh, well, basically, t- actually 10 to 20, but just the last part of those. Let me read this for you as you find it, Philippians chapter 4, verses 10 to 20. Again, this is a key passage on contentment. It's a key passage on how the, how the Apostle Paul treated what he had on this earth and his perspective. And really, this is the, the, a key passage. A, uh, he's going to be talking about the secret of having a contented life. Look at verse 10. But I rejoice in the Lord greatly that now at last your care for me has flourished again. Though you surely did care, but you lacked opportunity. Not that I speak in regard of need, for I have learned in whatever state I am to be content. I know how to be abased. That's brought low. I know how to abound. That's high. Everywhere in all things I have learned both to be full and to be hungry, both to abound and to suffer need. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. Nevertheless, you have done well that you shared in my distress. Now you Philippians know also that in the beginning of the gospel, when I departed from Macedonia, no church shared with me concerning giving and receiving, but you only. For even in Thessalonica you sent aid once and again for my necessities. Not that I seek the gift, but I seek the fruit that abounds to your account. Indeed, I have all I have all and abound, I am full, and have, having received from Epaphroditus the things sent from you, a sweet-smelling aroma, an acceptable sacrifice, well-pleasing to God. And my God shall supply all your need according to his riches in glory by Christ Jesus, not to our God and Father be glory forever and ever. Amen. So again, as you see, there's a, he's talking about uh, fullness, he's talking about deprivation he's talking about contentment he's talking about what are the what are the keys what are the what's the secret to being content or as the outline says finding true contentment finding true contentment this is also going to be a um, um, a message that's also talking about giving by the way the way the we're going to uh, lay it out today is we're going to give some intro thoughts And then we're going to look at the receiver. What was Paul thinking? And then we're going to look at the giver. How should we respond? And again, especially in in the context of missions. There was an interesting story a few years ago about a pastor who got up on a Sunday and announced to his congregation, I have good news and bad news. The good news is we have enough money to pay for our new building program. The bad news, it's still out there in your pockets. (laughs) Well, we're not going to be talking about building program, but we are talking about missions, giving to missions. Giving to missions, giving to the Lord's work, giving to the church, giving to, again, the Lord's work, the Lord's people. And this has a huge, uh, as far as contentment, your personal contentment has a huge, have huge implications as far as to your giving. I hope you see the connection. Well, first of all, what does contentment mean? It, it means to be satisfied. Okay, contentment means to have enough. And he says in verse 11, I have learned in whatever state I am to be content. He's learned to have enough. 
You know, contentment is a highly prized but very elusive virtue. In other words, many people would like to be content. Very few have it. And again, we don't have a contentment meter. I wish we did. I wish as, as you came into the church today, you could put your finger in and then it would show, oh, this guy's not content. Oh, this one is content. Oh, this one is 20% content. Oh, this one's... Yeah. Only you really know in your heart whether or not you're content. But it is elusive. Many want it. Many want to be content. Many, many want to have uh, contentment and peace and joy in God and find their joy and peace and contentment in God. And it's very elusive. It, they don't have it. Always wanting more. Always holding on, thinking maybe this is what will create contentment. Now again, let's remember the context of Paul. He's in a very hard time in his life. He's in jail. <laughs> House arrest, prisoner in Rome, confined to his apartment. Most likely this is the second or the first of the two uh, confinements. But he's there. He can't, you know, he can't leave. He's not in the dungeon yet. I mean, don't, but he's, he's there. But very few people are, are coming to see him. Again, you don't want to go see someone who's under um, <coughs> being arrested by the Roman government. Many, many of his friends have not come. Guarded by a Roman soldier, or as F.B. Meyer commented, Deprived of every comfort, cast as a lonely man on the shores of a great, strange metropolis. With every movement of his hand, there is a clanking of the fetters, and nothing before him but the lion's mouth or the soldier's sword. He's in a hard time in his life. He's in a very hard time in his life, but look at what he says. I have learned in whatever state I am to be content. <laughs> See, if he wrote the book while he was in the Bahamas, sitting on the side of the seashore, drinking his lemonade with a three weeks vacation, you might say, I can see you're content. But he's under house arrest. And whatever he gets has to be provided for by himself. So that's the context. Look at the secret, though. He says, I've learned it. But look at verse 12. I have learned, that's a different word, the secret. It's muo. It's it was used of the mystery religions for the initiation. See, when you, went to a, when you were in a mystery religion, they had an initiation ceremony. They were initiated into that particular mystery religion. One of the last ones we have around here is the Masons. But the idea was not so much the mystery religion, but he was saying, I've been initiated. In other words, I have the secret. I've been taught the secret of being content. I've been taught it by not a man, but by God himself. <clears throat> In other words, I've been initiated into the, into the secrets of contentment. I have learned the secret of being filled and going hungry. Do you see the contrast? Both of having abundance and suffering need. I've learned the secret. I've been initiated. By the way, when you're initiated into a mystery religion... It had been where someone else came and brought you in. And who was, it was Christ that brought him into the family of God. It was God himself and Christ and the Spirit of God that initiated him in. It's through the power of the Spirit by the Word of God. But he's been initiated. See, he's, again, he's saying, and by the way, he's going to share the secrets with us. Praise God. doesn't say, yeah, I've got the blessing and you're not going to get it. 
By the way, we know he's got... The, look, look at just, you know, if we're in verse 12, just go back a few verses. I mean, verse 6, look at verse 6. Be anxious for nothing. Some of that is your... Some, that verse is some of, your, some of yours, theme verse of your life. Be anxious for nothing, but in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving. Let your request be made known to God. And what? And the peace of God which surpasses all understanding. See, there's peace. You know, set your heart on the true things. Noble, just, pure, verse 8. Lovely, good report. Meditate on these things. The things which you have learned and received. And these do. And the God of peace will be with you. See, he says, listen, the God of peace has overwhelmed me. I have peace with God. I have the peace of God. I have peace in God. I mean, I have peace. So no matter if I'm, I'm low or full, whether I have little or abundance, I am content. See, th- this passage is a full passage. I'm only taking verses 12 to 20. But this peace is what guards his heart, guards his mind in Christ. Therefore, he can be content. So again, contentment means to have enough. Paul is in an era, a time in his life where he has very little, but he says, I've learned I've learned to be wherever I'm at to have contentment. Would you like contentment? Or is it elusive to you? That you just, I never seem to, well, we talk about peace, we talk about passes, all understand, we talk about joy, but it's not mine. Well, let's see what Paul says. First of all, let's look at the components or the path to contentment. Now, some of this is, is review, so I'll go quick. First of all, contentment comes when you are confident in God. Confident in God. Look at verse 10. But I rejoice in the Lord greatly. See, contentment starts with God. Now let me say that again. Contentment starts with God. Or let me say it this way. Contentment does not start with stuff. Contentment does not start with achievements. Contentment does not start with accomplishments. It doesn't start with relationships. We, in fact, we've been doing a little study in home group, uh, our identity. Where is our identity found? And many of us find, try to find our identity in what? Stuff, accomplishments, just the things I just, relationships, even service to God. We find our identity in that instead of Christ himself. Now, if you try to find your, your identity in all those other things, you know what all those other things have in common? <coughs> they don't last. They don't last. Every one of those don't last. The only thing that lasts is your relationship with Christ himself. See, contentment is found in God. That's where it starts. It's found in his character. It's found in his attributes. It's found in his, uh, what he does, his works, his actions, however you want to say that. Contentment is found in God. Now, if we could just remember that, but again, we find, you know, as humans, we try to find in something else. Now, again, look at this. Now that at the last your care for me has flourished, though you surely did care, but you lacked opportunity. Again, it's found in God, but again, as it comes to our own personal needs, God uses other people, and for here, uh, Paul was ministered to by the Philippian church, and he, he uses the word opportunity, kairos, in other words, they were given a season, they were given an opportunity, and they met his need because of the opportunity. But this is the point. This is the point. Paul was not panicked. 
See, Paul was not panicked. He said, listen, I've learned to live with little or much. I'm thankful for what you have, have given to me, but I'm not panicked about it because I'm not trusting in you, I'm trusting in Him. Do you see the difference? That your life says, you know, I'm just trusting in God. So even though he's able to thank the Philippians, and he is grateful for the gift, he's saying, but, but God is the one that is in control. I rejoice in the Lord greatly. <laughs> it's all up to Him. It's... Or use this word, it's his providence. Again, providence is how God works on this earth to meet all of his expectations and will, and including our needs. So it's his providence. So the first thing comes, contentment comes when you are confident in God. Number two, contentment comes when you are teachable and learn what God is teaching you. That's B. By the way, I understand, I've been told a number of times from different people, Wait a second, your outline is always A, B, C, D, and you say one, two, three, four. Right, Dale? <laughs> Evan? <laughs> okay, we get it. I've got to do that. It's got to be Roman numeral one, but I'm always going to say two or three, right? Okay, you... okay B, contentment comes when you are teachable. Oh, see, I've learned it. He's teachable. He's a teachable person. He's been taught and he's learned it. Many of us are been, have been taught, and as I said a few weeks ago, we respond to the Word of God with anger and speak against it. That's why James 1, in reference to the Word of God, says, be quick to hear, slow to speak, slow to anger, but it's in, in reference to how you receive the Word. Like, quick to hear, that makes sense when you hear the word. Slow to speak against what the word says. In other words, don't rationalize. Well, I know that the word says to love my wife, but I, he really doesn't mean to love her. That's rationalization. I love my wife. I got a great wife. But you know what? That's, see, the word of God, it says in Hebrews 4, is living and powerful. The word of God wants to cut and pierce and, and, and he doesn't want to just change your uh, actions. It wants to change your motivations. That's why it's a discerner of the thoughts and the intents of the heart. See, the Word of God wants to change you. Now, a lot of us don't want to be changed. See, Paul could say, you know, I don't want to be changed. I like my stuff. You know, he was a Pharisee. He had a lot of stuff. But the point is, is that, no, he says, I have learned this. I've been, I have been teachable. And what did he really learn? What was the major lesson he learned? He learned, now catch this, he learned to be satisfied with little. That's the whole point of the passage. I don't have to have the pile to be at peace. I have learned to have little. They, I, I don't like these sermons. <laughs> you know, I mean, I, let me say I don't like them. I'm just saying, you know, they convict me. It's like, oh... You know, Lord, I mean, I have to give everything to you. I have to be willing to... Yeah, that's really what it is. He's Lord and I'm not. So, he learned the lesson to be satisfied with little. How about C? The third one. Contentment comes when you live your life independent from circumstance. Independency. Because, again, he's making a contrast. I've learned to, to, to be in what... Uh, to, uh, learned in whatever state I am to be content. Whatever state... In other words, his, his contentment level was not dependent upon his circumstance. So what do we learn so far? If you're going to be content, you have to have trust in God. You have to have your confidence in God. It can be learned, 
And it's not about circumstance. It's not about circumstance. And he names them, abased or abound, full, hungry, abound, suffer need. By the way, the last one is where he's at, suffer need. <laughs> all, all six of those terms are earthy, material, not spiritual. So he's just saying, listen, it's, it's not the stuff I have. I keep going back to stuff because the American culture has tried to convince us if you have enough stuff, you'll be content. That's not true. You can have very little and be discontented. You can have a whole lot and be discontented. Reverse that. You can be contented with a little or you can be contented with a lot. It's, it's your heart. It's not the stuff that's going to determine whether you're content. So it's not about circumstances. But I'll, I'll tell you again where he found his contentment. Philippians 1, to me to live is Christ. That's where he found his contentment. And if you're going to find contentment, it has to be in Christ. It's what we sang. It's in Him. It is in Him. <coughs> it's only in Him. In other words, you can only find it in one place. True contentment can only be found in Jesus Christ. Not only as your Savior, but as your Lord. You see the... See, you come to Christ because you realize He is the only one that can save you. He's the only Savior. I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man comes to the Father but through me. He's the only one. But even after salvation, we find our life in Him. Our very life. In fact, go over to Colossians. Since you're in Philippians, Colossians 4. Colossians 4. No, wait a second. Colossians 3, excuse me. Now notice, by the way, this is a contentment passage, but this is also an identity passage. Notice the identity here. If you, again, Colossians 3.1, If then you were raised with Christ, I've been raised up with Christ, seek those things which are above where Christ is sitting, at the right hand of, the, right hand of God. All right, seek what's above, not seek here, because you've been raised with Christ. But look at the second part. Set your mind. That means like, 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 focus your mind. Set your mind on things above. Okay? Not on the things of the earth. Now, read that again. Set your mind on things above, not on things in the earth. Why? Because it's very easy to set our heart in, and our hope on the things on this earth. For you died, and your life is hidden with Christ in God. That's where your life is. When Christ, now he, he, he repeats this, when Christ, who is our life, appears, then you also will, will appear with him in glory. Where's my life? It's hidden with Christ. Where's my life? It's in Christ. My life is in Christ. Everything that's important is really in Christ. So for me to try to get my hope and my joy and my peace here is foolish. It won't happen. It can happen. In fact, if it does happen, it really shows you're not a believer. Right? So, I mean, it's very important we get this because um, we have to find our hope and our contentment in Christ. To, for, to me, to live is Christ. Howard Voss, the professor, wrote this. Uh, to Paul, Christ is all to him. He lives only to serve Christ. He has no conception of life apart from Christ. Christ's goals, Christ's orientation to life and society and mission are his. And therefore, he's able to say, I have true contentment. By the way, that's why Paul was able to accomplish the mission so well, right? Some of us have a hard time accomplishing even the mission of go and make disciples because we have all this stuff in our lives. 
I remember uh, years ago a guy told me, you know, this was to do with the desk. Um, to eliminate is to concentrate. So I wrote that on a number of my pieces of paper. Eliminate to concentrate. Eliminate to concentrate. In other words, if you get stuff out of your life, you're able to concentrate on the things that are left, right? Eliminate to concentrate. I, I love that when I'm trying to clean off my desk. <laughs> I don't need this. Why do I keep this? This has been here for like six months. I never read it. It's now actually the, the, the seminar is done. Get rid of it, you know? But for some, I mean, we need, to eliminate in our, we need to eliminate from our life to concentrate on what's most important, and that is for me to live as Christ. Some of you need to eliminate some stuff. You've got all this clutter, all these barnacles, and it's just weighing you down. And you are discontented. You ought to be. It's a great symptom of something even worse. Your eyes are not on Christ, it's on something else, right? We should be discontented. There's good times that you get depressed. You should be depressed. If your eyes are not on Christ, right? You know, He wants your affection. He wants your love. He wants you to be totally loyal to Him. So again, contentment. Our identity is in Him. And then finally, contentment comes when you believe in dependent divine power. We use that verse, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me, but the context is to be content. I can do it, no matter what he puts us through. If we, you know, in persecution and distress and infirmity, like he said in 2 Corinthians 12, Lord, you can give me the strength. Now, in the, the fifth point, E, is where we make a transition. And again, if you're not back to Philippians, you need to go there. But in Philippians, again, verse 14, there's a transition because he's just told them about himself. Now he's going he's gonna to transition and thank them from a biblical standpoint. Look at what he says. Nevertheless, you've done well that you shared in my distress. Now think about why he's saying verse 14. Because he just told them, listen, I'm trusting in God. I've learned contentment. I've learned the secret of contentment from God. I, I can be abased or I can have full. I, I don't need it. You know what they might be thinking at that point? Well, why do we even send it then? <laughs> You know, I mean, here we sacrifice. By the way, we know that the Philippian church was poor. It talks about in uh, 2 Corinthians chapter 8 that the Macedonian churches, which were a number of churches, one of which was Philippi, they were poor. They, they gave out of their deep poverty, it says. They gave out of their deep poverty. In other words, they came to the end of the week and all they had was a few denarii in their pocket. And they determined, you know, I only have four to live, uh, to live the rest of this week on, and I'm going to give two. To, I'm going to give two. In other words, they were giving out of their deep poverty. So Paul wants to say, wait, 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 wait. I am thankful. I mean, I don't want you to get the uh, opinion just because I've told you that I have the secret of contentment and I'm able to live with very little, that I am not grateful for what you have sacrificed to give to me. And even use the word, you've done well. That word well means beautiful. It's noble. It's noble not just in action, but in character. What you have done has been noble. In other words, he is speaking now from a man with a very grateful heart. But look at verse 15. Now you Philippians know also that in the beginning of the gospel, in other words, when it first came to you, when I departed from Macedonia, no church shared with me concerning giving and receiving. See, they, and you can find this in Acts 16 later on. Look at verse 16. 
verse 16, again, you can find this in Acts 16 when this all happened, but in verse 16, for even in Thessalonica you sent aid again and again for my necessities. And, and there was a very short time frame. It was only like about a month that he was passing through. And yet he goes back, and this was 10 years earlier. 10 years earlier, when he had established the gospel in that area, once they heard the gospel, they gave, and they gave a second time. They were, they were behind Paul's ministry. They loved Paul. They wanted to sacrifice for Paul so that the good news, the gospel, could get to another group of people. By the way, that is why we give. We give so that a, a person can bring the gospel to someone who has not heard. Can establish another person in the gospel and in the way of the Lord. So he's saying, I mean, I can remember back 10 years ago, once and again, for my necessities, not my wants, my desires, but my necessities. And it, let me throw out, again, in the King James, New King James, it says, concerning giving and receiving. These are business, this is business terminology. Concerning, giving, and receiving. They're all business terms. In other words, he's saying, listen, I, I made note of all the things that you did for me because I, I want you to know, uh, church at Philippi, that I'm, I, I'm, I'm accountable to you because you sacrificed for me. I want you to know that I'm grateful. I mean, you remember Paul, he's a tent maker. A lot of times he'll go to an area like Thessalonica, and what does it say? Night and day I work with my own hands so that I would not be a burden to you. But he said, you know, but you sacrifice, and I want you to know concerning giving and receiving, I know what you gave. See, Paul was very happy at this point, but now we, we come to why he was happy. Look at verse 17. Not that I seek the gift. I didn't seek the money. I didn't seek the denarii. I, I didn't seek the, the silver. But I seek the fruit, the profit, that abounds to whose account? Whose account does it say? To your account. So Paul's looking at, it's like me looking at you and saying, you know what? Man, I am so thankful that you give. I am so very, very grateful that you give. And let's say... Okay, let's say you're giving, in this context, the general fund. Because the general fund also helps Sol and I live here. Okay, you see what I'm saying? I'm not going to do missions, I'm going to do general. I am so thankful that you sacrifice, your sacrifice in giving to the general fund of the Alpha and Alman Bible Church. But, as he says here, uh, not that I seek the gift, though it is nice, but really, this, I mean, this is serious, actually. But I seek the fruit that abounds to your account. I'm afraid that sometimes giving and how people approach Christians giving and, and how we approach telling you that you need to give it doesn't have that context. It's, it's not about me getting paid on the end of the week. It's about the profit to you. Either the profit or the lack of profit to you, Right? Not that I seek the gift, but I seek the fruit that abounds to your account. This is the point. The contented person is preoccupied with the well-being of others. That is the point he's saying. Listen, the contented person is preoccupied with the well-being of others. The contented person... You will never be contented if you are selfish. If you are preoccupied with your will and your way and your direction, you will never be a contented person. 
That's the secret. That's one of the secrets. One of the secrets is God has to produce selflessness in you and then you will learn the, the secret of contentment is to the selfless person. To the selfish person that has to get... You know what you'll do the selfish person? I've got to have my way. I'm, you're going to drive your spouse nuts and your kids nuts and everyone else, right? I've got to have my way. Which means I'm going to manipulate and control. No, Paul says, you know what? I'm trusting God and I'm thankful for the gift, but I'll tell you why I'm really grateful for that gift. It's, it's on your spiritual account. Isn't that a great way to look at it? I love that. Because he's just thinking about that. Man, I am so thankful that you sacrificed the one time and the second time ten years ago and now you've had an opportunity and you've sacrificed again because can you believe how much you have from God? So he's rejoicing in their sacrifice. Again, do you rejoice more in the blessing that comes to others than what comes to you? And I'll just say right here, I have a hard time with that. I have a selfish heart. You know, I don't mind you getting it, but hey, God, could you give me some? (laughs) By the way, envy and jealousy also sometimes says this, and I don't even like you getting it. Can Can I have it all? Isn't that sad? Isn't that sad? Do you see how when it says love one another, what God has to do in our hearts? He has to break us so that we are actually uh, want, and, and want the other person to advance. That's tough. Are you content to be without as long as someone else is blessed? Paul is interested in not, not in uh, occurring benefits in, in this life for himself, but rather in seeing those he loved occurring benefits in the life to come. The closest I can get to that is my own children. Right? As parent, as a parent, I am willing to sacrifice for my children. I will go without so they and I don't go without much, but I'm just saying, you know, I will I want to see it. But that's how we should treat each one. That you know, that we, we should be like that with each other. Oh, I'd rather have you have it. That's hard, isn't it? Can we at least admit that's hard? We have a selfish heart, we just But see, the secret of contentment is selflessness. So again, contentment is is given by God to the selfless person. That's why in Philippians 2, he had already wrote this to them. Chapter 2, just two chapters earlier, esteem others better than yourself. What is that? 2, 3, 2, 4, something like that. Esteem others better than yourself. You'll never be content if you're trying to collect, get, gain. Rather to be unselfish. In other words, you're looking out for the the benefit of others. As long as you focus on yourself, you will never be content. (laughs) Some of us right there should stop. I mean, I almost wish I could stop the message right there. Just think about that. As long as you're focused on yourself, you you won't have the secret of contentment. So again, he said, listen, I'm not I'm not telling you all this to get more. I mean, sometimes when preachers stand up, they're just, they make a plea for finances and they just want more. No, he's saying, listen, I want this for your account. I want it so that you are rewarded when you see Jesus Christ. Again, the principle is those who give generously will be blessed by God. I, please don't take, please don't take uh, prosperity theology there. Okay, I'm not talking about, but if you sacrifice and give, you will be blessed uh, I'll give you a verse, Proverbs 11, verse 24. It says this, There's one who scatters and yet increases all the more. Or he scatters more 
and there is one who withholds what is justly due, and yet it results only in want. Some scatter, have more, some hold back, and they are in poverty. That's what it means to be in want. You know what that is? That's agricultural terms. What does a farmer do? Goes out, buys the seed, gives, spends a good part of his income to, to get the seed. What does he do? And then he goes out, what does he do? He throws it out. He plants it. He plants it. If he never buys the seed, if he never plants it, do you expect a crop? Well, let's look at Proverbs 11, the next verse. 11.24, I just read. How about 25? The generous man will be prosperous, and he who waters will himself be watered. All right, I, I like how one uh, commentator put it. He says this, God will not be in any man's debt. So, what does God do? He, he gives you whatever you have, right? All things belong to the Lord. Everything you have is from him, right? We are simply managers. But he gives you whatever you have, and now he says, I want you to, you want to be blessed? Like a farmer, spread the seed. Use it for my purposes. Use it for my... Now, the tendency is going to be this. Oh, um, you know, yeah, I, I've got uh, three. I'll, I'll give this much to you, but I want to take all this. No. No, you, no, 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 you misunderstand what I just told you. you you're just a manager. <laughs> it, there's no U-Haul following a hearse. You can't take it with you. Dale, you cannot take it with you. I'm using Dale because he's a good friend and I, and I know he has... Well, by the way, he's a, what, the financial chair, uh, finances secretary, financial secretary. <clears throat> but we can't take it with us. Can we, can, we, can we say amen to that? You cannot take whatever you have with you. Amen. It is true, although we sometimes try to convince ourselves otherwise. Well, you know, but I just want to use it because it creates a good life for me. No, 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 you don't want to go there. I mean, you can see this over and over again. God is not going to be in any man's debt. Proverbs 19, one who is gracious to the poor lends to the Lord, and he will repay him for his good. He's going to repay him. Given it will be given you. Luke 6, 2 Corinthians chapter 9, he who sows sparingly will also reap sparingly. So bountifully, what? Reap bountifully. So again, what you sacrificially give becomes, as Jesus said, treasures in heaven. You want to abound. You want to be full. See, God was grateful, but he was grateful because it was to their account. And again, don't just read finances into that passage that God will supply all your need. But don't eliminate finances either. Because sometimes that is how God gives back. But he doesn't give back as you being the owner. He just says, listen, you've been a good manager. I'm going to let you manage some more. But you better use it for my purposes. Do you see how that works? Listen, I'm going to give you some. I'm going to give you more. You're a good manager. I want you to keep managing it for me. Just remember that when you take your last breath, you don't keep it. But I want you to manage it because as you manage it well, what does the father do for his children? He can reward you. That is one of the greatest ways you can be rewarded. I mean, I say great because I think when it comes to stuff, it's easy to hold on to. So God wants to reward. That's what Paul's saying. And notice what type of reward it is. Verse 18. I indeed have all in abound. I'm full. I've received from Epaphroditus the things sent from you, a sweet-smelling aroma, 
an acceptable sacrifice, well-pleasing to God. Those are sacrificial terms of the Old Testament. He's saying, listen, your offering is an act of worship. Act of worship. So again, Paul was a contented person and he was preoccupied with the well-being of others. And then finally, the contented person will have great confidence in God's care. And my God shall supply all your need according to his riches and glory by Christ. And the word is according to, not out of. According to, not out of. If, uh, if I had a very wealthy man, and let's say he was worth $900,000, I'd say that's pretty wealthy, and he gave me, out of his wealth, he could give me 10 bucks. 10 bucks. But if he gave me according to his wealth, that means it would have to be a high percentage. Do you get the point? According to his riches. God's going to give according to, not out of. Out of just means he might pass you a few more pittance. But according to means this. You know what? You do it right. You sacrifice. You're willing to do it for God. You do it for his purposes. It's according to. And, and I believe this. A, a godly person is not going to say, Lord, yeah, hit me with some more physical stuff. Because the greatest blessing is the spiritual. Do we agree? But again, God says, you're faithful. I'll give you more. Maybe it's even physical. But I'm going to give it to you because I want you to use it for my... See, you know what? I have a hard time giving this to other people because sometimes I give it to some of my children and they just, they just keep it for themselves. He's looking for somebody to say, you know what? I want, I want you to use it for my purposes. So the, the contented person has confidence in God's care. In verse 20 it says... Now to our God and Father be glory forever and ever. That brings glory to God. So that's, that's the receiver. I just take in 35 minutes, 30 minutes on the receiver side. So we've looked at the general principle. We've looked at the receiver. That's Paul. That's his, you know, I've given you a glimpse into the contented heart. Now in the last very few minutes, I've got to go very quickly here. Let me, let me show you the other side of that. You have a receiver, but now you have the giver. Let me give you some principles that we get out of this passage on giving. On giving. Principles of biblical Christian giving. The first is this. It's got to be from the heart. Because he says, I rejoice in the Lord greatly that now at last your care for me has flourished. Where does care come from? It comes from the heart. But if you say, well, that doesn't use the word heart. 2 Corinthians 9, 7 says, so let each one of you give as he purposes in his heart. 2 Corinthians 9, 7. Give as you have purposed in your heart. And then he goes on and says, you know, not grudgingly or of necessity. Well, you know, if I don't give, then the person's not going to eat of necessity. Like, you know, they're bending my arm. I'm going to feel guilty if I don't, you know, hand in one of those sheets. <laughs> no, you purpose in your heart. It's just... In other words, giving reveals the heart. That's all it does. Well, I don't know what you're talking about. I never give to missions. <laughs> you just revealed your heart. Really? I don't give. Really? By the way, one of the great things on, in our church is, which is actually point number two, our giving must be as God gives us opportunity because it said they lacked opportunity but now they have an opportunity when you have an opportunity you should be willing that I mean the missions committee has put a lot of time in getting a certain amount of missionaries 
and they have vetted them. You know what I mean? They have, they have said, these are the guys to support. So like, I don't have to spend my time like, well, who should I support? That's a really, that for me is a, a relief. You know I mean? I don't have to think about it. Okay, I can just start focusing on them. Thank you, Missions Committee, for doing that. Be given an opportunity. You have an opportunity. Right now is an opportunity. We've been doing this for a month now. This is Missions Month, an opportunity to be willing to do. And it's in your bulletin, by the way. You know, it's that brown sheet that says, you know, I am willing to give a promise. Eh, call it a promise. Call it a pledge. You know what? Call it a promise or a pledge. You know what you really need? Just do it from your heart. I purpose to do this. This is worth because giving reveals your heart. So it should be from your heart, given an opportunity. It, it also, our giving is to those who serve God. Verse 14, do, they've done well that they, they shared in my distress. In other words, that's a person. Paul is saying, it's me you're given to. And primarily giving, Christian giving, is to people. Whether it's servants, much in Proverbs says to the poor, it's people. In fact, I'm very concerned if our giving ever, the majority of the giving ever starts going to a building. No, it's about people. Actually, when you give, it's also easier to pray for them. You know, like, Lord, stewardship, manager, please help them to accomplish their purposes. Excuse me. Help them to accomplish your purposes. <laughs> Are you going to stop me when I say something wrong? Okay. Serve, again, is given to those who serve God. It should be consistent. 1 Corinthians 6 says, On the first day of the week, let each of you give. Number five, your giving is spiritually beneficial. Again, he says, I seek, that, I seek the fruit that abounds to your account, verse 17. That is investment terminology. One thing you know about investments is this. If you take a little and invest it over a long period of time, your reward will be greater, right? Like you don't want to start investing when you're 60. The best time to invest is when you're 20 and let it increase. Well, actually, when it comes to the Lord's work, you invest it and look at how it's... And so now this person ministers to this person and this person gets saved and now this person goes over here and he has a church. <coughs> and the point is it's an investment strategy, right? To your account, to your account, Next one is you should be generous. It says in Corinthians, again, as I said, that they shared their riches, excuse me, they abounded in the riches of their liberality. Even from their deep poverty, they shared. It was sacrificial, it was generous. Our giving should be generous. And again, the Old Testament talks about the tithe. You know why he talks about the tithe? Because the heart had not been transformed. They had to give a tithe. Actually, they had to give a tithe, a second tithe, a third tithe every third year. That turns out to be 23%. Plus, when they, when they uh, did their fields, they always had to leave the exterior for the poor. They had a temple tax. They had a number of things. By the time you add up all the stuff, it was like 25 27%. But it was all mandated. It was all mandated because the heart had not yet been transformed. New Testament, what do they do? Give. It's all up to you. It's up to you. It's up to, between you and God. Just know this. I don't do it. Well, it shows your relationship between you and God. It's a great indicator. It's probably giving is one of the best indicators of your true spiritual walk. 
should be generous. Because it is spiritual worship. Go back to verse 18. It is it's an act, sacred act of spiritual worship. It's a sweet-smelling aroma, an acceptable sacrifice, well-pleasing to God. You can go into the Old Testament and find those ter- that terminology either in Leviticus, Psalms. It's, it's, it's worship language. It's language that you find when it, you approach the temple and the tabernacle. See, it's an act of worship. Your giving is an act of worship. Oh, now he's really bearing down. He really wants to see the missions, you know, be totally fun. No. I want to be able to be like Paul. And man, it, it abounded to your account. I'd really hate to see it. Wouldn't it be sad? Get to heaven. You're truly a believer. Get to heaven. Lord looks at... You never, you never gave. You never sacrificed. All I gave you... Look at it. It's all behind you. You never gave. In fact, I often wonder if he might do this. You know, I've often, will he put up like a slide presentation of the stuff that could be? And I, and I wonder if some of us, it might be like this. And he shows you your car and your house and your accounts that you had so carefully guarded. And he said, you know what? Yeah, you had it. But now let me show you what you could have had. I'm not saying he's doing that. But you know, it says there's tears in heaven. Boy, there could be a lot of regret, couldn't there? I am not saying it. Please hear me so clearly. I am not saying this to try to get your hand in your checkbook. <coughs> I am saying this because I want to see this fruit abound to your account. Okay? And I am saying it to you with one finger and four fingers pointing at me. Number seven, giving is a sacred act. So that means this. Your responsibility is to God between you and him, you and God, and how you... And then what he does is then, as it comes in, then it's the responsibility of the elders and deacons to see how that's dispersed. And so you're accountable to him for that, and we're accountable on the other side. Just know we're accountable. (laughs) We take it very serious where what God gives and allows us to have is, is spent. But as David said, I will not give the Lord that which costs me nothing. And then finally, whatever you give will be repaid. And my God will supply all your need according to his riches and glory by Christ. According to and measure of. Or as John MacArthur, he had an interesting thought. He says, whatever you give will be repaid by God and it does not deplete your resources. Because though you give, God gives back. All right, all right, let's put it in practical terms. You may, have to, you may not have that brand new car or whatever it is. And I'm not against the brand new car. And it doesn't mean if you, brand, you, you drive a brand new car, you're somehow sinning. Please don't miss. All I'm saying is, are you a good steward? And just know that every dollar you make, you're, you're, you're a steward. You're a manager. That's all I'm trying to say. That's all I'm trying to say. But some, for some people, they don't have that new car because of that. They just say, no, it's, it's, I'd rather invest it over here. What do you mean? Well, I mean, you know, and what God wants. For him, that's good. For you, you might have it. For, fine. Whatever. It's between you and God. I'm not going to ever look at you. <laughs> You're not going to be like this in heaven. Holding hands with me. Okay. And then, you know, judgment day. What do you think, Pastor? <laughs> no, i got to stand before him by myself, too. You know, John, you were so, man, you were so passionate about giving, but you know, now I'm looking at your giving.
Let me, let me close with, uh, with three, two thoughts. One is, you are a manager of your time and your resources. I would encourage you after you leave to fill out that sheet. Okay? And it's, it's, a, it's a faith promise sheet. I like the verse that Chris put on there. It says, uh, uh, for where your treasure is, your heart will be also. And just remember this. Your treasure always follows your heart. It's not the reverse. It's not like you put your treasure there, now your heart follows. It doesn't say that. It says where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. In other words, your heart was there first, now your treasure goes. You know, sometimes people read, yeah. I would encourage you, that's an investment right there. Right? Investment in eternity. Second is the prayer. <coughs> the prayer, prayer sheet. Number of people you can pray for. <coughs> Excuse me. Uh, I definitely encourage you at least pray for two. And if you find yourself getting uh, unfaithful, ask God to forgive you and get back on the track. <laughs> because do people need prayer? Do I need prayer? By the way, there's one out there that says, elders, could you pray for me? Could you pray for Andy and Steve and Mike and Bill? Do you guys want to be prayed for? Or do you want? Okay. <laughs> by the way, let's just put on the deacons as well. We won't name them. But the point is we need prayer. And one of the sheets out there is, and I know, I do apologize, because some of you have been praying for me very faithfully, and I said at the beginning of last year, or this time, you know, I'm going to send out regular, and I haven't, and I apologize, but I need to, because there's things going on in my life, and I'm going to pass those sheets on to the rest of the elders, too. So if you sign up for that one, so prayer, giving. Last thing is just an illustration. Let me give you one. It's CT stuff. <clears throat> excuse me, excuse me. I hate when I get a throat. Um, CT, have any of you ever heard of CT stuff? phenomenal guy. Let me read it. He was born in 1860, so just before the end of the Civil War. Died in 1931 at the age of 71, or 70 plus years old. This is what it said of Studd. C.T. Studd was the Michael Jordan of the day, the Tiger Woods of, of cricket. He was the greatest athlete of all of England in the 19th century. He was one who grew up in an affluent family, rich family of England, he was given great privilege that would be impossible for us to understand. He lived a life of affluence and luxury, and he was the greatest cricket player in all of England. His parents sent him to Cambridge, where the elitists would go to school. C.T. Studd won fame and fortune on the cricket field and was second to none. He was the envy of the nation. D.L. Moody came to England and preached the gospel of Jesus Christ, and C.T. Studd recognized that he was a hell-bound sinner. God then, at that moment, dramatically saved this athlete with all of the influence that he had. He gave his life to Jesus Christ, and, he was announced at Cam and, and then he announced at Cambridge that he was going to the mission field, and not just to any mission field, but to that one mission field that was one of the hardest, and that was China. And he formed a group called the Cambridge Seven. And they were the elitists of the elite who had been conquered by the grace of God, and they began to dress, these seven began to dress in Chinese attire so that all their classmates would know that we are going to the end of the earth with the gospel of Jesus Christ. So C.T. Studd and the other six guys got in the boat and they sailed to the other side of the world. They said goodbye to fame. They said goodbye to popularity. They said goodbye to fortune. They said goodbye to wealth. And they left it all behind to go to the mission field to tell others of the saving death of Jesus Christ. While C.T. Studd was on the mission field, his father died, and again, very wealthy. 
And his father left to him a king's ransom. It turned out to be 145,000. Now, in this day and age, not much. Think about it in the 19, 1877. A huge amount. This is what C.T. Studd Stud did. He went from China, he got into this boat, he sailed back to England, and he took his inheritance, and in 24 hours he gave away nine-tenths of the vast estate. He just dissolved it. He liquidated it. He gave it all away and he went back to China. Saved one-tenth. Uh, it was interesting, some of the places he gave it to. He gave it to Booth of the Salvation Army. He gave it to Mueller of the Children's Home for an Orphanage. But he also gave it to the guy D.L. Moody and that is what started Moody Bible Institute. It was that gift. While he was coming back from Africa, sometime later, it was actually a few years later, on a different trip, he met his wife, and the way it goes is he gave her the last 10% of his inheritance, and she gave it away to missions. <laughs> you can tell their hearts were together. Someone asked C.T. Studd, why would you make such a sacrifice? Let's face it, why would you give it all away? You just gave away ease for the rest of your life. And he said this, If Jesus Christ be God and died for me, then no sacrifice is too great for me to make for him. So as we stand before the Lord someday, and we will stand before the Lord someday, praises, singing praises to his name, the question is, are we doing all for the king? Are we investing our life? Are we investing our time? And are we investing everything that God has given to us as managers? And are we doing it well? Because that's exactly what C.T. Studd did, right? He gave it all, because he understood actually that it all was God's in the first place. So again, I encourage you with that as we stand to sing our last song, be thinking, how would God want you to invest your life, time, and stuff?